who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! I'm curious, the only time I'm ever in the Hotel Cleveland is when somebody offs themselves by jumping off the roof. Bet you didn't know there's a thousand rooms in this hotel. Maybe you do, but you don't really care. I get the feeling that you don't impress easy, Frayne. We're headed up to the penthouse, huh? That's where Elliot Ness is staying. The presidential suite. Why do I even ask? Mick, the boss is expecting us. Come in, gentlemen. Come in. Excuse my robe. It was a long night. Drink? Whiskey. Neat. Nothing for me. I'm going on shift in half an hour. You work through the night. Seven in the morning is rightfully happy hour. How's Edna? She's dandy. She sends her regards. My lovely wife and I live out of the city, Detective Pike. When my work necessitates my staying late, I bunk here at the hotel. Here you are, Gus. You sure you won't have a little pick-me-up, Detective? I'm sure, but thank you, sir. I remember now. You're a teetotaler. Not as popular a position as it was before Prohibition. How would you know that, sir? I make it my business to know everything I can about local law enforcement personnel when my men and I come into a city. So does Agent Frank. I wouldn't have taken you for a drinker, sir. Now, the Depression has hit everyone hard. Moderate alcohol consumption can serve to distract one from the misery of financial misfortune. In moderation, amelioration. In excess, oblivion. I'm not an actual teetotaler, Mr. Ness. I just don't choose to drink. It's, uh, it's a family thing. Of course. I'd forgotten. 
you have a familial intolerance to alcohol. Your father went blind from drinking moonshine when you were a teenager, didn't he? And then he blew out his brains with a shotgun. I guess Agent Frayne isn't the only one who read my file. I'm genuinely sorry about your father, Detective. And I'm sorry if you feel we've been intrusive. Our work in Ohio brings us into close contact with the Cleveland Police Department and the Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Department, so it behooves us to determine which individuals can be trusted. And you're among only a handful of officers we feel completely confident about. Confident to entrust with what? Our trust. It was pure chance Agent Frayne and I crossed paths last night. Perhaps. But your paths would have crossed eventually. Intentionally. Maybe not this year, but definitely the next. And then we would be having this identical conversation. Perhaps even in this very suite. A conversation about what? The murders. The Lady of the Lake. The two headless bodies found yesterday in Kingsbury Run. What do you know about them, sir? Only what my contacts in the press have told me. One of the heads belonged to Edward Andrasi. Wasn't he one of your informants? Yeah. That's distressing. For Andrasi, who lost his head, yeah, it was. Am I missing something here? If either of you know something about these homicides, now would be a good time to tell me. I know nothing that would help you, Detective. Nothing that would be of assistance to you in catching the perpetrator. What exactly does the Treasury Department use informants for? I lead a division in the Treasury Department known as the ABU. Yeah, I know that. The Alcohol Beverage Unit. Same question. What do you use informants for? Whatever we can get out of them. Andrasi was a marginal character barely skirting the criminal underworld. He wanted to be a big shot, so he kept his ears open. A couple of bootlegger crews took him on as a driver when they were short. We bled him for route information a few times. That was it. An inside man, I get it. But your get-up as a hobo, I don't. Agent Frayne is our invisible man. Since the crash in 29, hobos, travelers, itinerants, the marginal population, bums, whatever you wish to call them, have been a sea of faces across our nation's backdrop. Brother, can you spare a dime? Precisely, detective. No one looks twice at a shabbily dressed, down-on-his-luck man trudging along the railway tracks. If somebody happens to catch him staring through a fence, their immediate thought is not that he's surveilling their operation, but that he's looking for a handout. Dirty and dangerous work. With great risk comes great reward. You're sure Edward Andrasi wasn't doing something for you when he died, Frayne? He wasn't. I hadn't seen him in weeks. The timing of the discovery of the bodies, however, has been problematic. I had to postpone the raid scheduled for last evening to this morning, and the newspapers already have a wealth of news stories to choose from. Politics, in particular. The mayoral election is less than two months away. Yet nevertheless, this morning, the Plain Dealer headline practically screamed the most bizarre double murder in Cleveland's history. Gruesome trumps newsworthy every time. However, my contacts at both majors have assured me we'll be the headliners for tonight's evening edition. Excuse me if my incredulity is showing, but you're worried about headlines for an illegal booze operation raid when two men have been brutally murdered and one of them works for you? I thought I'd made myself clear. Mr. Andrassi did not work for us. He was one of Agent Frayne's many informants. Unpaid informant, I might add. His death is tragic, of course, and regrettable, and my heart goes out to his family. But our work is important and must continue without pause. 
Your breakfast meeting is on his way up, sir. Well, it's been a pleasure meeting you, Detective Pike. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed our little chat, but now I have important business to attend to. I'm sure we will meet again. Yeah, likewise. You coming, Frayne? Agent Frayne will remain here. He needs to go to the hospital no matter what he tells you. I'll see he gets the help he needs. Show Detective Pike to the door, Mick. I know the way. I can see the fucking door from here. Talk about a bum's rush and frame you ingrate. I didn't hear, hey, Alvin, thanks for saving my life, twice. You need to move your ass along, bud. And you are? None of your business. Move along. See this badge? I'm a Cleveland cop. I have the authority to stick a gun in your face and drag your ass to jail. So think about your answer this time. You got a name. Mick Basile. You got a permit for that piece? I'm Mr. Ness's bodyguard. And here I thought you were his muscle-bound secretary. Why the hell does a treasury agent need his own bodyguard? Mr. Ness is an important man. I think you mean he's made a lot of enemies. Go on in, sir. He's waiting for you. You know who that was? Who just slipped into Elliot Ness's suite? Oh, of course you do. So do I. That's Harold Burton, one of the two mayoral candidates in our fair city. Mr. Ness playing boiler room politics here in Cleveland? I wouldn't know. This isn't Chicago. This isn't his turf. It's whatever Mr. Ness makes it. Oh, is that how that is? What about that woman? What woman? Come on. Playing dumb when you already look dumb is adding insult to injury. That young woman in the tight skirt who just slipped out the back door to Ness's suite disappeared down the back stairwell like a wraith in a haunted house. You saw her. She's a spitting image of Vivian Lee. Be still, my pounding heart. Never seen her before in my life. Dumb and blind, are ya? You know anything about the two bodies in Kingsbury Run? Why would I? Answer the question. Not a damn thing. Buster, I can see the little cogs in your head spinning like pinwheels at a country fair. Start talking, or I take you down to the station. The headless bodies might be a message. A message? From who to whom? Or is it whom to who? You, you mean like from God? Like a sign of the apocalypse? No, a message to the boss. To Elliot Ness? Yeah. That he's not going to be safe even when he's out of Chicago. You mean from the mob? Wait, you actually believe Al Capone ordered the decapitation of two men in Cleveland as some sort of veiled threat to Elliot Ness? It's not just me thinking it, Flatfoot. Wait, are Elliot Ness and Agent Frayne buying into your cockamamie theory too? I'm guessing not. You, you do know Al Capone is currently locked up in the maximum security prison on Alcatraz Island in California. He's not even halfway into his 11-year stretch. Ford has it, his brain's going soft from syphilis. You really think he's obsessing over the man who raided his illegal breweries during Prohibition? Capone's serving time for tax evasion, not for running a bootleg liquor operation. Scarface is not locked up because anything Elliot nested. That's just part of the Untouchables hype. Don't underestimate that piece of shit, Capone. He has long reach. He was in Florida when Bugs Moran boys got hit in 29. That don't mean he didn't order it. You talking about the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Lining up seven mobsters from rival gang against a wall and machine gunning them to death. It isn't subtle. Even a flat foot like me can read the writing on that bloody wall. 
beheading two random citizens in another state as a threat to a treasury agent seems a bit obtuse for the mob. Besides, prohibition's over. Yeah, but bootlegging is not, which is why the boss is here. You local cops can't get a handle on organized crime, or else you're all in on it. I don't smoke and drink, and I go to church on Sundays, so don't include me in your assessment of cops with suspect moral character. So you claim. Basil, now. Why does your name ring a bell, Basil? You a reform mob guy? Al Capone had my brother killed. Uh, okay. I get it. You don't get shit, Flatfoot. Don't you have parking tickets to write or bums to roust? I'm sure we'll meet again, wise ass. I look forward to it. I'm sorry about your brother. When it's uh, personal, it, it hurts like hell. It's after eight. Any one of you dicks know where Alvin Pike is? Maybe he fell asleep in his car. Want me to go look for him, boss? No. Let's see if he drags his ass in here soon. In the meantime, let's go over what we've got on the two victims. Emil, you got the best printing of all of us. Why don't you write this down on the chalkboard? Sure thing, boss. Make two columns. Vic number one and Vic number two. We're numbering the victims not the order they were found, but the order in which we think they were killed. You know, chronologically. Good idea, boss. Don't fucking patronize me, Marty. Sorry. Vic number one. John Doe, male, approximately 45 years, 165, brown hair, good teeth. Which is fucking surprising for someone who was probably living rough. Time of death, several weeks. Vic number two, we've ID'd as Edward Andrasi, male, 28 years, known degenerate. Time of death, two, three days. Here's a booking photo of Andrasi. Why don't you tape it to the board, Emil? When you finish writing. No ID on our first Vic. Suspected murder weapon, or at least dismemberment tool for both victims is a sharp knife. Glad you could finally join us, Alvin. Sorry I'm late. I fell asleep in my car. What'd I tell you? Shut up, Marty. Frank, what did Coastal say about printing Vic 1? He said decomposition's too far advanced to lift his prints. There's no ridges left. The skin sloughed off. I thought as much. All right, boys, take a look at this topographical map. The absence of a significant pool of blood anywhere in this area of the run pretty much guarantees they weren't killed where they ended up. Is a body dump. Not a dump, a stage. He arranged the pieces to mean something. Like what? If I was a psycho, I could let you know. The gap between the times of death means he had to hold on to the first body. He needed a place to store it. Or a place to hide it. It's the same fucking thing, Frank. Yeah, I guess you're right. I got a bad feeling about this one. Did the coroner come up with a cause of death? So now even Sleeping Beauty's got something to say. If you showed up on time, Detective Pike, you'd know the answer to that question. Look, I'm sorry, Pete. Cause of death is decapitation. They were both still alive when he cut off their heads. Ah, oh, hell, I was hoping that wouldn't be the case. Hey, what about when they cut off their dicks? Were they still alive then? Don't know the answer to that one, Orly. I would have thought the dismemberment was to make disposal easier. No doubt about the cause of death being decapitation. I look like a fucking Dr. Pike? All I know is what it says right here in Coroner Pierce's report. Something about the retraction of the neck muscles at the point of injury and no blood being present in the heart. Here, read it and weep. 
Here's a fresh tidbit to get your blood pumping. Vic II, Edward Andrasi, had severe rope burns on both wrists. Poor bastard. That's all we got so far. Sitting around here like a bunch of ladies in the sewing circle ain't gonna solve these murders. Emil, Orly, you two see if you can get an ID on our first victim. Start with the assumption he's a vagrant living rough in one of these shanty towns in the run or East Shaker Heights. You got his description. See if anybody knows of somebody who hasn't been around in a while. Marty, if you can keep the ass kissing to a minimum, you're with me. We'll take a run through the dives in the Roaring Third. Andrasi's stomping ground. Frank, you and Pike go to Andrasi's residence and talk to the parents. Pete, I usually partner with you. We'll meet back here at the Detectives Bureau at 6. You think I wouldn't hear about what you've been up to, Pike? Guys from the station saw you. Pete, look, I was going to tell you. You're a fucking traitor, you know that? Working for the feds while pretending you're a cop? I am a cop. You went on a bootlegger raid with the big shot G-men when you were supposed to be working on double homicide. You cut a suspect loose so you can go join the Treasury Department buddies in the warehouse district for a circle jerk. Pete. I run a tight crew of good men. Divided loyalty ain't loyalty at all. I smell a rat. You either earn your paycheck or turn in your badge. Everything okay, Alvin? Uh, yeah. Thanks, Frank. It's hunky-dory. I, uh, do want to check on something with Coroner Pierce before we head out. Sure thing, but I'd rather meet you out on Fulton Road. The morgue gives me the heebie-jeebies. Say we meet up in an hour? I'm gonna grab a quick bite at the diner. Fine by me. I'll see you there. I was finally heading home, detective. Quick question, Doc, then I'm gone. Those bodies from the run, they still here? They are. You mind if I have a look at the one we haven't identified? Be my guest. It's the one on the right. You figure out what caused this discoloration? If you're thinking it reminds you of the Lady of the Lake, it's not the same thing. Not some form of slack lime? Red ochre. Red ochre? It's a natural earth pigment. The reddish tint is caused by hematite, dehydrated iron oxide. So the body absorbed this red ochre from the dirt? No. It was deliberately applied to John Doe's torso. Rubbed in, probably. For what purpose? There are cultures that have historically used ochre for adornment, but I think in this case, the red ochre was used as a preservative. Like a food preservative? More along the lines of hide tanning. Holy moly. You know what this means, right? The slack lime used on the Lady of the Lake probably wasn't a mistake. You said the slack lime acted as a preservative, too. If it's the same killer. You haven't doubts it's not the same butcher? Personally, I have very little doubt there's only one killer. But that's just an opinion, and it will bear no weight in court. Detective Merillo was firmly convinced the two cases aren't related. Yeah, I got that much. You seem troubled, Detective. More like sleep-deprived. Let me tell you something. I'm keeping hush-hush for now, Doc. 
when we found what was left of the Lady at the Lake, Elliot Ness was in charge of the Treasury Department's alcohol beverage unit in Cincinnati. He didn't set foot in Cleveland until December of last year, six months after the Lady of the Lake washed ashore at Euclid Beach. If the two sets of murders are connected, Lady of the Lake and the two decapitated men in Kingsbury Run, one prevailing theory of two separate killers is completely blown out of the water. You can't possibly suspect Elliot Ness. Not as a suspect, as a possible target of intimidation. I'm afraid I don't understand. You don't need to, Doc, seeing as this theory I'm chasing is all make-believe. Well, yes, if your theory of the case rests on the perpetrator being the same in both crimes. I'm listening. Could an alternative theory be that you're looking at a copycat? Well, then the copycat isn't a very good one, though, is he? Replicating the crime of a bisected woman thrown into a lake by decapitating two men and half-burying them in a ravine? They aren't even in the same superficial ballpark. I mean, the connection, other than a homicidal maniac at large, is... It isn't all that easy to draw. What connects the two in my book, not including the obvious dismemberment, is the discoloration of the skin in the case of two of the victims. Nobody has paid much attention to that detail other than you. Yeah, not yet. But trust me, they will. Right now, not even the press knows the details about the discoloration and the preservatives. Maybe the press doesn't. But a lot of other people do know. You mean cops? That's just one of many possibilities, Detective. But if you're looking for those who want Elliot Ness out of Cleveland, then you can't overlook law enforcement. Especially... Especially those on the take. Yeah, I hear you. You know why they called Ness and his men the Untouchables, don't you? Because they refused to take bribes. That fact set them apart from other policemen. I've personally never taken a bribe in my life. And I'd bet my big toe that none of the guys I work with in the Detectives Bureau have either. Then they're the exception, not the rule. Cynic, are we, Doc? Okay, I've got a lot to consider. I could be looking for a mob enforcer, a cop copycat, or a garden variety human butcher. All those three have in common would be access to a sharp knife. I've lived through a world war and a Great Depression, and I cut up bodies for a living. Being cynical is second nature. Yeah, I get it. You threw out your rose colored glasses a long time ago. Look, thanks for listening, Doc. And Thanks for patching up my new friend earlier. My pleasure. How is he? Still breathing when I left him, but that's not saying much. I'm gonna check on him later. Get some sleep if you can. You should talk later, Doc. Crooked River is created by Dave Beasley and Cassie Wells. Starring Zachary Ray Sherman, Jeff Tendall, Miles Sullivan, Andrew Garrett, Albie Selznick, Stephanie Myers, Levi Petrie, Joseph Covino, Glenn Payne, Nate Ward, Taylor Jury Scorse, Jessica Andres, Dave Huber, Gail Trudeau, Raphael Goldstein, and Alexandra Vaughn. Post production sound by Joe Morales and Elf Tree Studio. A Haywood production. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. 
I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.